Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister says he doesn't want the economic update to lead to a federal election. This is a fall economic statement. This is a, an economic measures that, uh, of course, will be a matter of confidence. But I am, I am uh, uh, reasonably confident that none of the opposition parties wants an election right now. We certainly don't want one. What will the government's spending and stimulus plans mean for the state of the country's economy? The government says don't worry about the debt. It's not so bad, and interest rates are low. Well, according to the numbers the government published yesterday, the deficit will reach as much as 56% of GDP by next year. And how will the federal and provincial governments work together to roll out a vaccine? Canada is collaborating with provinces and territories, indigenous partners, and private sector partners as well to ensure the appropriate planning and infrastructure is in place to receive and distribute the vaccine. It's Wednesday, December 2nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. The Prime Minister is saying that he doesn't want an election, but the uh, vote in the House of Commons on the financial update, the fiscal update that was provided by uh, by the Finance Minister, Christia Freeland, a couple of days ago, uh, will be a confidence vote. Uh, so we'll talk about the contents of that and what they mean in a moment. But first of all, do you think there's any appetite on the part of anyone in politics or outside of it for an election to be triggered by this? I, I just can't see the the public mood, given everything else that's going on in the world, uh, being interested in, in having an election with all the difficulties that that would propose in terms of, you know, virtual elections, no contact elections, etc. Um, you know, the Liberals are holding a fairly firm lead in the polls. I mean, probably, you know, if you, if you go by the polls, uh, which are not always that reliable, but they seem consistent, put it that way, that the Liberals are still holding a lead enough to win another election if things stay the same way in key places like Ontario and Quebec. So um, I don't know what would be there to gain for any opposition party. Um, would it be worth triggering an election to get a few more seats if you're Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives or, or Jagmeet Singh and the NDP? Uh, no guarantee you'd get those seats. Um, there is always a chance of losing support, and in the middle of an ongoing national preoccupation, if not to say crisis, um, a lot of people might be inclined to support the government that's in there now and try to muddle through and, and uh, leave the politics for some later time. So, uh, I mean, the Liberals are always at risk of overplaying their hand. That's one of their characteristics under the Trudeau uh, regime. But uh, at the same time, I think a cautious approach to moving ahead with, with the pandemic response is what really is required at this time. Let's talk about some of the measures in that update, and uh, in particular, spending on stimulating the economy. We just got some good economic news about growth in the second quarter of 2020. Uh, that seems like a long time ago now, of course. <laughs> so much has happened since then. But um, what, what do you think about the government's efforts to stimulate the economy now and, and post-pandemic, uh, and the amount of money that's going to be invested? The Prime Minister was speaking about that yesterday in the context of, of how historic this, this amount was, but there are concerns about just how far the government can go without, without def deficits and debt becoming a problem. 
Well, deficits and debt are already a problem. Uh, they're a problem that uh, I think the country is going to have to shoulder and face up to in the coming years. Uh, and if you know, if Trudeau's talking about $100 billion, I, I think people should keep in perspective how little governments actually can do to, quote-unquote, stimulate the economy. The, you know, the Canadian economy, uh, the, the government only has control over what it spends and what it taxes. So it can't bring about the sweeping kind of economic change that people often think they can. You know, it's um, it, it can help. It can work around the fringes. It can stimulate here and there. Uh, and it can get out of the way, which is also an important thing for a government to do sometimes. Um, but in terms of uh, suddenly increasing GDP growth from one figure to another, it's almost impossible to do that, even if they're talking about $100 billion. Um, you know, the, the economy is worth in the trillions. So, you know, it, it's not really um, the type of impact that people might hope. And certainly, I know more progressive folks often put great stock in, in government spending as a panacea to slow economic uh, growth, but it doesn't always work out that way, and uh, simply because governments don't have the firepower to keep a massive modern economy spinning and at, uh, at top speed. So, um, you know, the, the government will make much of, of its contributions and brag. Every government would do this, would brag about its, its great contributions to the economy and claim credit when the economy grows. But really, they're operating at the fringes most of the time. Good point. All right, let's talk about the introduction of vaccines. Uh, and there has been some discussion between the premiers and uh, the federal government, between provincial governments and the federal government, about how to roll out the vaccines, who should get them first. The prime minister is saying there will be cooperation around this. Um, uh, Meanwhile, of course, the the opposition continues to criticize the government and even call for further investigation into the handling of the procurement of vaccines uh, and accusing the government of, of dropping the ball on this and putting Canadians' lives at risk. So, What's your sense of where we stand now, especially as there is news in other countries of vaccines being approved and being brought into production and even delivery dates that are being talked about in places like the U.S. and the U.K.? Well, um, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. have way more uh, pandemic cases uh, per capita and in real terms. And uh, really, the United States and the U.K. governments, uh, you know, under Trump in the U.S. and uh, Boris Johnson and the conservatives in the U.K. have nothing to brag about or teach the rest of the world, frankly. Uh, if, if they are finally getting their act together on the vaccine front, well, I'm happy for them. Um, but, uh, you know, basically the story of pandemic uh, response in the United States, the U.K., has been a story of bungling politics and, and stumbling incompetence that has killed people. Um, you know, Canada has not had a perfect uh, coronavirus response, but between the provinces and the feds, um, you know, there has been a balance there that has, has been able, uh, you know, in most jurisdictions at least, to keep it from running totally out of control. I mean, it's, a, it's worrisome now in Saskatchewan, Alberta, and a few other areas of the country. But um, by and large, uh, you know, the overall response has been reasonably, uh, you know, reasonably well done. Now, you know, when are vaccines going to roll out? I don't know. I mean, it says this morning that there are emergency 
uh, approvals in the works um, for vaccines in, in a couple of jurisdictions. And that's really what it is. It's still emergency approvals. Uh, approvals. These are not uh, tested drugs yet. They are not tested uh, vaccines yet. Uh, there are no rollout plans of the manufacturers yet. Everybody is scrambling to get this done. And I think um, most Canadians understand that a lot of this talk they're hearing is just pure partisan politics and um, has got little to do with the actual public health aspect of this. Uh, I mean, I'm not excluding the Liberals in this. They're going to claim that they've got this master plan, blah, blah, blah. They don't. And uh, no country has uh, at this point. So it's a bit specious to, uh, I think, compare the Canadian response to the response in other countries, because this is a, an emerging problem around the world. And, um, you know, Canada has to keep, uh, you know, bearing down on this as much as possible um, for the foreseeable months to come to get this stuff rolled out. And, and let's argue about it later. You know, I think most Canadians would go along with that. All right, finally, Dan, uh, there was some new data from the Angus Reid Institute uh, that was released yesterday uh, that showed the approval ratings of premiers across the country, and the two lowest on the scale were Manitoba's Brian Pallister and Alberta's Jason Kenney. Those are both areas where there has been uh, a recent spike in the number of cases of the coronavirus, so uh, it does seem as though the approval rating for premiers is tied to performance around keeping the spread of this virus in check. Yeah, and, and that's perfectly understandable. You know, the, the fact is, as everyone knows, is that health uh, and, and uh, health care are, are provincial matters of jurisdiction. It's the provinces that have to declare restrictions on, you know, tra- uh, you know travel around the province or, or what's going to be open, what's going to be closed, are we going to have school or not, etc. And uh, so I think in areas, you know, I think, down east, for instance, where we've been pretty lucky and pretty firm in terms of dealing with this, you're going to get higher approval ratings. But if you have Jason Kenney on one hand saying, oh, let's keep everything open, um, and, and it sounds more political all the time, it's what it sounds like to me from this distance anyway, um, and then suddenly cases spike, well, we shouldn't be surprised, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised that uh, that Albertans don't approve of that. And uh, uh, you know, the same goes for Manitoba. You know, there's been patchy responses, sometimes prodded, I think, more by politics um, and, and concerns about particular points of view within conservatives. You know, if people are trying to appease the uh, laissez-faire group in their own parties by leaving things open when they should be closed, there are repercussions for that, and Albertans are seeing that now. And, uh, you know, Mr. Kenny, I think, would be well advised to take that into account and, uh and govern himself accordingly. And, and there's some evidence that's emerged out there that, um, you know, health care and politics are clashing. And uh, as we've seen from the United States and from the UK and other places, the clash of politics and partisanship uh, over the pandemic response uh, kills people. And um, that's what's happening uh, in some parts of Canada now. And, and when, you know, when the dust settles and we go through all this is going to become painfully evident who behaved responsibly and who didn't all right great point stan thank you so much for joining us today okay mark thanks for the call that's dan legere longtime political writer and broadcaster eight of every ten dollars spent in canada to fight covid19 and support canadians has been spent by the federal government now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today 
At globalnews.ca, Bill Kelly argues that while COVID-19 spending is frightening, it is necessary. Kelly writes, Should we be concerned about the monumental deficits that are being created and fiscal challenges we'll face on the other side of this horrific health care and economic calamity? Absolutely. But we need our governments to deal with the crisis before us. The costs of battling this pandemic are enormous, but the cost of not doing enough is worse. In the National Post, Tasha Carradine argues the Liberals' national child care plan serves unions and business interests, not parents. Carradine writes, What is national child care really about? Corporate Canada wants a greater supply of female workers. Politicians want votes and the support of interest groups, including unions. Just as public education is unionized, the logical next step is public unionized daycare. Leaders from both business and government should champion the idea of parents as the primary caretakers of their children, instead of applying yesterday's solutions to today's problems. At National News Watch, Jim Keon writes, The vaccine debate highlights the need for Canada to ensure a more secure supply of prescription medicines. Keon writes, It is possible to strengthen Canada's existing pharmaceutical manufacturing capacity, promote a well-functioning global supply chain, and adopt a coordinated approach to better equip Canada for future health emergencies. Governments need to apply the lessons we are learning from the pandemic and change the way we think about the importance of prescription medicines, so that the first priority is maintaining a stable and resilient supply for Canadian patients. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the Liberal caucus meeting and question period. This evening, he and Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will host a virtual open town hall with Canadians from across the country. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference to speak about COVID-19 vaccinations and the supply of critical drugs. Minister of Middle Class Prosperity Mona Fortier will take part in a virtual town hall meeting hosted by the Ottawa Board of Trade. And Small Business Minister Mary Ng will take part in the opening of the CETA Business Summit. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, December 2nd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.